Um, so yeah, please keep them in prayer. And then when he gets back, we'll continue going through the book of uh, Matthew. Um, but today we're going to be taking another sidetrack. We'll be looking um, at a passage from the letter of Colossians. Um, so yeah, if you've got a Bible with you, please turn um, to Colossians um, chapter 3 um, and we'll be going from there. So as you turn, that's Colossians, that's found in the New Testament, so towards the end of the Bible, and uh, it's the, called the book of Colossians. And as you're getting there, let me just briefly pray, and then we'll kind of talk about what we're doing today. So, uh, Father, I just want to thank you just for your church and uh, for bringing us here today. Lord, you've brought us here today for a reason, um, on this particular Sunday, to hear this particular word. Um, I pray, Lord, that you would speak um, to each of us as we open your word, that it would come alive and that you would really implant it in our hearts and in our minds. So, Father, I pray that you would bless this time in your name, Jesus. Amen. Over the last few years, I have had the great honour and privilege um, to um, not only to be present at the baptism of, of fellow Christians, but even to partake in it, to to, as it were, be, um, be one of the guys dunking them. Um, and if you've ever been to one which we do here at Shoreline, we go down to um, Brighton, and we actually like to do it right in the sea. Um, as you know, British River is perhaps not favourably warm, um, so it is often cold and often freezing. And I remember one time, I think it was last year, we went down, and it was, uh, it was raining. And you can't really necessarily predict these things when you set a day, kind of set a day and kind of hope for the best. Um, but sometimes, you know, the ones with the worst weather end up being the most memorable. But um, yeah, it was raining and it's cold and it's, uh, it's kind of, it's raining and it's windy as well. You're right at the coast um, and then it's me. Um, and I remember we're coming up to the first person to baptise. And I think it was, yeah, we were baptising um, Liz. So not a relatively kind of normal height kind of Liverpudlian girl. Uh, not terribly tall or big. Anyway, so we, there's me on one side, PT on the other. And she's got her back towards the raves. So she can't see what's coming. And the waves are getting bigger and bigger and stronger and stronger. And then we're kind of waiting for the opportune moment. And then kind of PT's asking, you know, have you accepted the Jesus as your Savior? And do you confess him as your Lord? And just getting ready to dunk her. And then I'm kind of one side, he's on the other side. And we see this big wave coming. And then I just kind of look at PT. And PT kind of looks at me. And we're kind of like, okay, let's go for it. And we go. And yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> And if you ever see the pictures, you see literally kind of Liz just like, okay, okay, and she's kind of absolutely taken out and we kind of just about hold on to her and then we bring her back out and you see everybody kind of cheering and I often think, what do people think of when onlookers, because we're doing this right in public, right in the sea, often by the pier and you see kind of people standing on the pier looking down thinking, what on earth is going on? You know, why on earth would... In, in, in what sane mind would these people on a freezing cold day choose to stand and dunk each other and then when they come out, everybody's cheering. Like, what's, what's, kind of, <laughs> what's going on, you know? Uh, and as we kind of read through Scripture we, and we kind of read about baptism, we see that baptism isn't something that saves you. Um, it is just simply a, an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. So something which you are demonstrating outwardly which has already happened inside. And as we see, uh, baptism is, 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 among other things, is kind of a symbol of 
in some ways is, is a symbol of death. That as somebody goes down, as they're going into that water, is if they're being buried. And then as they're coming up again, is if they're coming, they're rising again to new life. As we read in Scripture, when you give your life to Jesus, this is what we see. That that, what we see in baptism, actually takes place in your heart spiritually. Way before you do the physical demonstration in that act of baptism, it has already happened in the heart. That as we see the old sinful man dies and then rises again as a new man, as a new heart, as a new creation. And what we're going to be looking about today in Colossians is this idea of the old man and the new man. Because as we'll kind of read through Scripture, we'll often see that uh, salvation is kind of threefold. Um, as kind of a, um, a theologian, A.W. Pink, what a name, you know, surname Pink. Uh, anyway, he kind of says it this way, that salvation is threefold. Okay? You see it as past, present and future. We see that we have been saved from the penalty of sin. That every Christian is saved from the penalty of sin. But then we see present. We see that we, as Christians, are being, are being saved from the power of sin. That every day, because Jesus lives inside of us, we are becoming new and we are be- being saved from the power of sin. We are beginning to say no to sin. And then we'll see that one day, future, we will be saved as in we'll finally be free from the very presence of sin when we, when we go to be with Jesus. And today we're going to be looking at this idea of that we have died, that the old man has died, but that also there's a continual thing that as he has died, we're now to continue to put him to death and to continue to put him off and instead embrace the new man, the new creation which God has already started in us that God has already begun in us to put him on and to take him off. So read with me. We're reading from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1 to 17. And this says, and it says this. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies, 
kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. So as we see here, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul. So to give you an idea of where this falls, Jesus has, Jesus has become a man. He has died on the cross for the sins of the world. He has risen again, ascended to his, sorry, risen again, appeared to his disciples, ascended into heaven. The church explodes and then we see Paul. This guy, Paul, who has this amazing conversion which we read in Acts. This Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Christians who are in, in Colossae, the Colossians. And this is where we kind of come halfway through in this letter. And this kind of section which he begins, he begins it with, uh, well, <laughs> before we kind of delve into what it means to be the old man and the new man, Paul wants to remind the Christian of what your identity is and who your identity is in. And he says this, he says, If you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, and set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Here he addresses the Christian. He says that if you have given your life to Christ, a number of things have happened. From this text alone we see this, that we have died, we have raised but we've also been seated with Christ. And so much of this kind of emphasis emphasis in this identity is this idea of with Christ and in Christ. So we see here you've been killed with Christ, raised with Christ, but also seated with Christ. So we see this, just as Christ died, so have we. The old sinful man has been put to death. Uh, Another way in which Paul places this, he says this same thing in Romans 6 and 5 to 7. He says this, for if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Our problem was before we knew Christ, we were, we, were, we were lost and enslaved to sin. And the only way in which we could be free was to die. You see, when Jesus dies on that cross, I don't want you to just see Jesus, but I want you to see yourself. I want you to see that old sinful nature that has died with him. 
that has been crucified with him. But then he goes further. Jesus didn't just die. That's not where the story ends. But just as Jesus died, he also rose again. So we see that our old sinful self dies. But then just as Jesus is raised up, we are also raised up with him. And we are given a new heart. (laughs) And we are given... (laughs) We become, as he says in, in 2 Corinthians, we become a new creation. We see here that just as Jesus died, we have also died. But as he has been raised up, we have also been raised up and now have been made and given that new heart and have become that new man. But it doesn't just stop there. (laughs) It goes even further. And it says, as we in the verse we just read, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We see through this text that not only did we die, not only have we been raised, but our life is now in Christ. It is secure and protected in Christ. Our life is not only hidden in Christ, and and in other places we'll see in the New Testament this idea of us being seated with Christ and in Christ. But we also see that Christ is our life as well. So not only is our life in Christ, but then now Christ becomes our life. And now Paul says, out of this identity of being buried, being died and buried in Jesus, in being risen again, a new creation in Jesus, and having your life secure and seated on high in Jesus, he says, out of this new identity, he gives us two things. He says, seek the things that are above and set your mind on the things that are above. So we see the first word, seek and to set. To set your mind upon and to seek. And then the question becomes, what, 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 what are these? What, what is the things that are above? From these very verses, we can see clearly at, at, at very least two things. Right? We see that God the Father and the Son are there. The things that are above, this place which is above which he is talking about, God the Son and God the Father are there. And not only that, we see that the things that are above are opposite to the things that are of the earth. We see that the things that are above are where Jesus is and are eternal and the things that are of the earth are temporary. In short, he's literally saying, look, seek and set your mind upon Jesus and his kingdom. So what does it mean to seek and to set our minds upon it? All of us are seeking after something. We are in pursuit of something. There is something or someone for which we are giving our our energy towards, our life and our passion towards. We are seeking after something. But the question is, what is it we're seeking? Are we seeking Jesus and the things of him, the things that are above where our life is, or are we continuing to seek the things that are of the world, to seek, to seek the things that are earthly? And it's not wrong that we should uh, be in pursuit of certain things, but what is our ultimate pursuit? That's the question. What is the ultimate thing we're pursuing? Are we pursuing Jesus because he is our end? Or are we seeking to use Jesus as a means to another end? If we were truly honest, is our pursuit of something, a relationship or a job title or, or, or anything, fill in the blank, whatever that might be in your own life, is it a case of we're seeking Jesus to get to that 
Or are we truly seeking Jesus above all things? Where he says, as Paul says, that's where our identity now is. It now is in Jesus. And so not only does he go say, to who are you seeking? What are you seeking after? But then he also says, set your mind. And that is actually a very practical instruction. It actually says, you know, uh, you know it, when we look at the idea of seeking, that can, that's kind of the broad principle. And that can kind of play its, its way out in a number of different ways. But as we see when he says set your mind, it is very specific. He's saying literally, what are you thinking about? What, are you, what is your mind set upon? What are you choosing to occupy your mind and thoughts with? And it's such a challenge for all of us. For me, uh, for, me for yourself, it's, it is that challenge of what am I really meditating on? What am I really thinking upon? And if I'm honest, most of the time, it is so, it is often not him, it's often the world. It's like those moments where you kind of go to work and you kind of work solidly for like the nine hours and then you, you kind of, you get out of work and it's one of those things, it's been a busy day, it's been frantic, you're serving customers or you're dealing with other people and you kind of get to the end of the day and then you're like, wow, how many times did I really spend thinking about Jesus? how much of my time and my mind was set upon him. And that is the challenge to us and to me. It's like, okay, how do I... Let let me make a conscious effort to start doing this, to start, okay, let me draw my mind to Jesus. And and we often see it. It's amazing how things... How things, how things can occupy our minds, right? There's something which you just can't shake in your mind. And it's that feeling you're walking along, you're like, okay, I'm not going to think about that more. I'm not going to think about that more. Five minutes down the road, it comes back again. <laughs> and it's like, why can't I do that with Jesus? Why, is, why can I not? Why can it not be that with Jesus? Well, I just can't let go of him. And he says, look, you need to try and discipline yourself to set your mind on me, Daniel, and not on the things around you. Set your mind on where your life is and seek me. Your life is hidden with me. Seek that which is above and put your mind on that which is above. And that is just how Paul starts these first few verses. He hasn't even gotten into the specifics of kind of the old man and the new man. He's first of all started, this is who you are in relation to Jesus. And now with all you have, seek after this Jesus. And with all you have, set your mind upon this Jesus. And then he continues on and he says this. In verse 5. So we've seen how we've seen how we've been we've died with Jesus, we've been raised with Jesus. And I love that last bit as well. We will also one day appear with him as well. There's a day when he will come again, and that's when we will appear and see him face to face, and we will be with him in glory. And as it says, we will appear with him in glory. And in verse five it says this therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. He says that these are the things of the old man and this is how he wants us to respond. He says that I want you to put them to death. And kind of a bit like we kind of talked about last week, he kind of says that sin is serious. And he says, look, treat this seriously. The things of the old man, put them to death. Don't try and keep hold of them but don't even allow them to live. Literally cut them off, put them to death. So then the question becomes, in what in my life needs to be put to death? And as we kind of look at some of these things, we look at 
the first one, and this is kind of just a list, and he kind of goes on through uh, to a number of other things, but he says that put to death all these earthly things, put to death fornication. As we looked at last week, that idea is, is that which is sexual, sexually immoral, sexual immorality, put it to death. And he doesn't, and he's not just saying not just the physical actions, but the sexual sin of both our hearts and minds. You know, just as Jesus says in Matthew, which we looked at a couple of months ago, he says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus, man, Jesus, the bar was high and then Jesus just went and set it even higher. And he says, look, it's not just about what you do with your hands, but it's about what you do with your heart and what you do with your mind. And so much of what happens in the mind and the heart is only time waiting for it to then become sin of the hands. It always starts from the heart before it manifests itself to the physical. And he says, look, put it to death. And then he goes on and says, uncleanness. And the idea of that is impurity. And that is such a big, <laughs> that's such a broad, kind of broad area, broad subject. He says that if there's any impurity, put it to death. And then passion, and the kind of the words here is, is, uh, is uh, the, the idea of the word he uses here is inordinate affection or lust. The idea is not that it's not wrong to have passion, but it is rather what our passion is in. And is our passion in Christ? Or have we got a passion in something else? Is our greatest passion and desire in him and the things of him? Or are they in something else? And he continues on, he says, evil desire. He says, put it to death. Kill it. And then he goes on, he says, look, if there's any covetousness, and the idea of covetousness, it's not a word we often say, but it's the idea of, once again, an inordinate desire, often for material possessions, and often belonging to another. And it's interesting because he goes on to say that covetedness is idolatry. And the way I would explain it is simply this, that we exchange our worship of God for our worship of creation. We see that our ultimate aim and goal is to get something which is created rather than getting the creator himself. And once again, it comes back to the idea of what are we seeking? Are we seeking Christ and his kingdom? Or are we kind of seeking the things of the world? So he goes on, he says, that put the old man to death. And then he continues and he says, the old man is deserving of wrath. In verse, sorry, in verse 6 of this chapter, he says, Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. He says that our sinful nature, that old man, is deserving of just wrath. But we have this hope. And it's all in the next verse. <laughs> in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. We have gone, if one, when we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, we moved from sons of disobedience to sons of righteousness. And not even our own righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. So that when the Father looks at us, he sees Jesus in all his perfection and accepts us as his Son. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, you have moved from the son of disobedience to a son of righteousness. You've become his child. God's wrath is no longer, you are no longer under God's wrath. Does that mean we continue to sin as we kind of looked at last week? Why would we go back to that which enslaved us? 
But instead, he said instead to embrace the new man. But the question is, if we do not know Jesus, then we are still a son of disobedience and we are still under that that just wrath and judgment. And he says, look, (laughs) this gift of forgiveness and the the chance to become a true child of God and righteousness is there and available to you. I've done all the work. All you need to do is accept that gift. And that is the hope we have. He says that the old man is what we used to walk in. And I love that. He's like, you have been saved. This is what you used to be. Don't go back to it. Leave it alone. Take it off. And he says, put off the old man. But now you yourselves are to put off all these things. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And once again, we get a few more of what this old man looks like. And once again, he's like, look, take him off. As if you're kind of taking off a a smelly, dirty old jacket. It's like, take it off and put something else on. Something new on. He says, take off anger, take off wrath, take off malice, take off blasphemy, take off filthy language, take off lying to one another, and also, take off our identity being in anything other than Christ. And that's kind of like a really subtle one, but we kind of see it in verse 11 where he says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. And here he says, look, your identity is not primarily in your culture, not primarily in your religious background or your social status or your job or your employment. Your primary identity first and foremost is in Christ Jesus. He has become your new identity and he is primary. And it's not wrong to enjoy and to treasure the culture for which we come in. We are, we are called to do that, but we are called to remember that we are called to a new and greater culture and that we have all become, once we've given our lives to him, his children. And now that is our primary identity. And that results in us being here on a Sunday like this where we look across this room and we see people from various nations and backgrounds and histories. We are completely different and yet united in this one thing, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and we have accepted him as our Lord and Saviour. So he says to put off these things. But then he also says to put on things instead. And I'm glad he does that because it's it's very easy to become kind of bogged down in the, man, I've got to get rid of this and I've got to get rid of this and I've got to get rid of this. But he also gives us some positive things as well. He's like, look, yes, take off these things. But also, don't forget as you're taking this off, Pursue this instead. And I like this. It's not just don't pursue this and leave this behind, but instead, run after this instead. Pursue this with your full heart. And he says, put on the new man. And what does this new man look like? Well, first of all, <laughs> he starts once again with who this, who, what this new man's identity is. And we see here that the new man is renewed. It says this, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge 
according to the image of him who created him. We see that the new man has a creator and that is Jesus. But not only that, we see that this new man is being renewed in knowledge according to this Jesus. In short, the new man is being made new continually to become more and more like Jesus. We see that this new man, this new blueprint is there created with the purpose of becoming more and more like the image of the one who saved, who died for and who created this new man. This new man is being renewed. And I like this idea of recreation. The other day I was walking through the park and, 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 and I saw a rainbow. And it was like a, kind of like a, a small, complete rainbow. And, it, and, and as we kind of read through scripture, the purpose of a rainbow is to remind us of, of Noah and to remind us of Jesus' covenant to Noah. And the whole story of Noah is, we are reminded that God is a God of recreation that he recreates. <laughs> we see that there was judgment, but then we also see that there was death in, in, in kind of Noah. As there was judgment, there was death, but then we also saw that then there was new life. Our God is a God who recreates. He brings new life, and the new man is the sign of that. <laughs> I have given you a new heart. He, and I am renewing this new man And as we kind of touch on this new man, has a new identity. No longer about his social status or his culture, but it's all about Jesus. All and all about Jesus. And this new identity is made up of a number of different things. And he says this in verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Before he talks about the specifics of a new man, he wants first of all to remind us of who we are in Christ. He says, the elect of God. And he says, you have been, it's like, you have been chosen, sought after by God. You are his and you belong to him. And then we go and he says, holy. So not only are we chosen of God, but we are holy. We are made pure, right and spotless because of what Jesus did. And then he goes on and he says, and beloved and I love the word he loves you you are precious to him and that word beloved it's the idea of like it's an action love as well it's kind of there is an action to it it's a love in action here we see before he says before he says look this is how I desire you to live he says this first of all you are chosen you are holy and you are beloved And then out of that identity, out of meditating on that, that I am chosen by God, holy in God's eyes and beloved of God, that's when he says, put on these characteristics. Put on the new man. And he says this in 12 to 14. Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Here he says to put on tender mercies. And the idea of that is the idea of like, like 
okay, if you look at the original kind of Greek language, the idea of like deep within your gut, a mercy which comes from deep within, a deep and loving, tender mercy, showing kindness, humility, and that word, the idea of being humbleness of mind, and then meekness and long-suffering, patience. (laughs) It's saying put on patience, bearing with one another, and then he says, forgiving one another. And then the last but of all these things is love. That ultimately, as we see the new man, we see that the new man, at the heart of this new man, is love. Above all these things, amazing things that we are called to put on, to display and to pursue in our lives, above all these things, and at the heart of all these things, is love. Not love as the world would define it or describe it, but love as Jesus describes it. And as we looked at last week, as he says in 1 John 3.16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. We see that as we put on these things, the primary thing we must always remember is to put on love. As Jesus describes it a sacrificial laying down of our lives for each other and he continues on if this this wasn't enough he also goes on and says more the new man is called to be peaceful and thankful and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful here we see that Paul on top of putting all these things on he all then continues to say this let let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And that word, the idea of let, it gives the idea that peace, God's peace, God is desiring to give us peace in our hearts. He's wanting to give us peace. And it seems, as always, <laughs> the one thing getting in the way is us. And he says here, that let peace, let the peace of God rule, take prime any rule and dominion in your heart. And I think often that will come back full circle to what he said at the beginning that as we seek the things of him and set our mind upon the things of him and him that his peace will begin to rule in our hearts and then he also says give the command to be thankful and how often do we need to be more thankful (laughs) so easy that we are so aware of what we (laughs) we are so often uh, aware of what we don't have and often forget the things that we do and already here, he has, he has said, look, this is what you already have in Christ. You already are chosen of him. You already are made holy. You already are loved. Out of all these things, so look, be thankful. And as we leave from all these verses, we see that the new man is called to be part of the body. New man is not called to be a lone wolf. <laughs> As we kind of see here, the new man is called to be a part of the body. We are called to be in fellowship with a local church. Christ calls us to himself, not just individually, but he calls us to himself corporately. And we see this in kind of two things in the text that we have seen. One is which in verse 15, he says, to which also you were called in one body. 
He's like, look, I'm calling you to be a part of my body, to be a part of my church. And we also see it in the big list of putting on these things is the continual word that comes up again and again, one another, one another, one another. This idea is that we do this to one another. And who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians. He says, look, you need to be doing this with one another. Need to be showing tender mercies and kindness to one another. Humility and meekness before one another. Patience and bearing with one another. Forgiving and demonstrating love to one another. And the truth is, we cannot do with one another if we are a church of one. <laughs> it has to be. We have to be part of a body. We have to be part of a church. And granted, no church is perfect, as I think all of us will testify to, because we're not yet perfect. <laughs> Because it's made up of people like you and me, and we're far, as, as, as any of you who have known me for even five minutes will know that I am far from perfect. But God calls us to be a part of his church and his body, to commit to a fellowship and to grow in that new man with those people. And we see this, and this is where Paul's focus then goes for the remainder of the text. It then goes to the life of the church. And he says this in 16, as we follow on, he says, The new man is a man of the word. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Once again, it is that idea of letting the word of God dwell in you. And this idea of dwell is uh, the idea that it remains in you, it's inside of you. And then he uses the word richly, which means it is abundant. It's not just in a little bit, but it's kind of like overflowing. It is, there's a rich deposit inside of you of the word. And that can only be by day by day, uh, not only just reading his word, but also coming under his word. And we see here to dwell on it too. And that word you'll see throughout kind of, throughout scripture, that word to dwell. And it's like to stand in, to be planted in. To remain in. So he says, let the word of Christ, God's, God's very word, dwell within you. So we see that the, man, the new man is a man of the word. And then once that is happening, once his word is dwelling within us, it then moves its way out to service. He says, in all wisdom... And he carries on teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. He says, look, let the word of God dwell within you. And then out of that, then, then as you're beginning to walk, look to serve and minister to others. We see that the new man is a man of the word, but we also see that the new man is a man that ministers to others, teaching and admonishing one another. And we'll see, uh, um, not, we'll see that not all of us will, um, as we kind of looked at in, uh, as kind of Daniel shared of us during our prayer meeting this morning, we're one body but many parts. And we're called with different gifts and different callings to serve in different ways. Uh, and uh, some of us will be called to have a physical pulpit and to preach from it. But we all have metaphorical pulpits in our own lives. As fathers, it is our, our children. And even as kind of older men, uh, it is the younger men in the church. And as older women, it's the younger women in the church. And, and we see that there are moments for which we get to teach uh, and admonish one another, to encourage each other, to, to bring things up uh, you know, when we're going wrong, to challenge each other, but also to encourage and speak life to each other. 
He says that the new man is one which is <laughs> seeking to bless and teach and, and guide and be guided by others. And the only thing we just need to be careful with is that we're preaching God's word and God's gospel, not our own word and our own gospel. That we're not calling people to ourselves, but we're ultimately calling people to Jesus. That they will not be consumed and want to follow us, but they'll be following Jesus as we follow him. And then, as that goes on, we will also serve others and at the same time we sing songs to Jesus. And we've done that today. We see we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and we sing to Christ with grace in our hearts to him. And then Paul ends this brief section with the new man is all about Jesus. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul sums up what the new man should look like. (laughs) If you were to sum up anything I've said today, it would be this. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to him. And that brings a beautiful challenge. (laughs) Am I doing all things and am I seeking to do all things that I do in word and in deed, in the name of him, for his glory? Is everything I do in my, (laughs) everything I do really in his name and for his glory, or is it for my own name and for my own glory? Here we see these amazing things. Not only are we to put off these things, but also to put on these things. And, And these things are amazing. We see that the new man has a new identity. We see that the new man is in Christ and he is chosen and he is loved (laughs) and he is holy. We see that the new man is a new creation. We see that the new man is called to be peaceful and thankful. That at the heart of the new man, he's called to be a man of love. He's not called to be in isolation but in fellowship with others. He's called to be a man of the words and he's called to minister to others. We see this amazing calling And in the very last two words of this scripture, we see the means for it. Because that is an amazing calling. And let's be honest, that is is an amazing calling, but an amazing challenging calling as well. Which there is no way we could ever seek to accomplish it in our own strength. And the key to how we can begin to become men and women who take off the old and put on the new is found in those two last words in 17. Through him. Through Jesus. Jesus has to be our source and the means for us to accomplish this. And we we know this. We know we can't do this in our own strength. But as we seek him and set our mind upon him and meditate on who we are in him, as we kind of looked at last week, when we're abiding in him (laughs) and walking with him, he begins to do the work. We see that Jesus is the means for us. He is the tool for us. (laughs) He is the means of how we begin to put on this new man and take off this old. We humbly come before him and say, Lord, show me what needs to be taken off and then help me to meditate on the things I need to put on. 
daily coming to you, me like, Lord, I'm not strong enough to put that old guy to death and to take up this new one. So by your strength, give me the strength to put him off and to put you on. Day by day, bit by bit, walking with him. And as we focus on him, I believe we'll begin to see not only our hearts changing, but our actions as well. And that will begin as we seek him and set our mind upon him. He becomes the focus point to the point where we are making it about him. About the one who died, who we have died with and been resurrected with. Who we have been seated above with and one day will appear in glory with. Our friend, our king, Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. It's all about him. And he calls us to focus on him and who we are in him. And out of that, embrace what it means to be the new man and to throw away the old. <laughs> Put that old guy to death. <laughs> he has no place and no, no longing where... He's, he's not going to be allowed in where we're going. So get rid of him now. You know? <laughs> Put him off now. He's not coming with us. And instead, embrace the new man and that new creation. As you go away in this week, I want, you to, uh, I want you to keep in mind that idea of baptism and that idea of somebody going into the water and coming out again. And I want to see yourself, <laughs> that old man being buried and then coming out again to new life. Let's pray together, guys.